and welcome back. It's midday. By the way, coming up tomorrow, it's going to be midday at the movies. Jed Dietz will share his takeaways from the Sundance Film Festival, and Anne Hornaday will share her list of the worst films of 2022. And i got to tell you, if love actually is on that list, there's going to be trouble. You know, in case there's a director's cut of Love Actually, you know, in case there's a new one for 2022, we're going to have a big argument. Plus, theater critic Jay Wynn Russick will review Jump. That's the new show at Baltimore's Everyman Theater. So that's on the way tomorrow here on Midday. My guest, next guest today is Howard County Executive Calvin Ball. In November, he was elected for a second term to lead Maryland's sixth largest county. Funding for Howard County schools is a front burner issue, as is the plan to prevent flooding in Ellicott City. Calvin Ball joins me today in Studio A. Mr. County Executive, it's always a pleasure. Well, good afternoon. It's so good to be here with you on a Friday, Junior. A Friday Junior? Is that what we're calling Thursday now? Very good. We go from hump day to Friday Junior. There you go. It's all, it's all how you look at life, isn't it? Uh, to join our conversation with the county executive, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday wipr. So you were in Annapolis uh, in the chamber yesterday when Governor Moore delivered his uh, historic state of the state uh, address. Um, your impressions? It was just an honor to be there and uh, being able to see uh, me having been the first black elected Howard County executive to see our first black elected governor on the first day of Black History Month was just so inspiring. However, we talked about the things that mattered. Ending childhood poverty, investing in education, making sure that not only people are safe but feel safe in their communities. I am so excited for the bold vision of Governor Moore. Do you um, anticipate, obviously I think you will anticipate, greater cooperation between the executive branch at the state level and the county level uh, like Howard County. But in in what ways will that, uh, do you hope that will manifest itself specifically? I'm excited to work with uh, the Moore-Miller administration. I think that they are collaborative partners. They're going to be communicative partners. And I think that as we craft the best future for the state of Maryland, we'll be able to do it together in a way where we talk with one another and we have an iterative process of ideas and hopes and dreams and aspiration. Uh, you will be wearing uh, several hats during your <laughs> this year's second term as Howard County Executive. One is you've been elected uh, the Maryland Association of Counties president. Um, what does that involve? So, yes, I'm honored to be elected president of the Maryland Association of Counties, or MACO. There are uh, 16 county officials on the board, and we are the voice of local governance and counties to the state. We advocate at the General Assembly level to the governor, and we work together to move all Marylanders forward from the local level perspective. What are your priorities? Well, a a few things. One, as we're looking toward the General Assembly, uh, making sure that when they're looking at uh, cannabis, that there is revenue sharing, that there are opportunities for opt-out for some counties. You know, counties have the responsibility for land use, and we also have the responsibility for so many other issues when it comes to substance misuse disorder, uh, mental health, and we want to make sure that as there are uh, revenues and restrictions or uh, moving forward with uh, cannabis, we are at the table. 
we also are the authority when it comes to funding a lot of our boards of educations and our school systems. However, the actual authority for governing rests at the state level. So making sure that we are transparent when it comes to school education funding. When you look at the state budget, uh, Governor Moore, uh, you know, inherited a, a budget that, uh, by some measures, is kind of swimming in money. Um, you know, we've got uh, money from the federal government that was passed during the COVID crisis to uh, keep the economy afloat. We've got money. Uh, we've got higher, actually, uh, tax revenue than had been expected during the COVID crisis. Um, uh, and and the governor, you know, made sure that some of that uh, surplus money, so-called surplus, it was going to be put in the rainy day fund. Um, are you making specific uh, calls for spending uh, some of the money? In other words, what is your what is your impression of the governor's budget as it relates to the counties, not just to your county, but as the president of Mako, you know, to all the local jurisdictions? Uh, we are very hopeful. We're very hopeful when we see the investment in education, making sure that we create the best teaching and learning environment for our students and our educators. We're hopeful in the investment in public safety. Uh, we've had some challenges throughout some areas and uh, seeing rises in crime, and so we need to combat that. And we're very hopeful when it comes to ending childhood poverty. We don't want any of our children to be hungry, and we need to combat homelessness. And so I think when we invest in the quality of life. It's important. However, we need to make sure that we are good fiscal stewards because we do have a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that we do have uh, some money set aside for those rainy days. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. My guest is Howard County Executive Calvin Ball. To join our conversation, 410-662-8780. You can email us at midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. So another hat that you're going to be wearing is as the chair of the board of the Baltimore Metropolitan Council. I just had Mike Kelly, uh, who's the executive director of that fine organization. And yesterday we were talking about transportation issues. That's one of many uh, issues that uh, you all take up. So tell us about your work with the Baltimore Metropolitan Council and why why that is an important uh, you know parameter of, of the, the time you want to spend. Well, I am just so uh, honored to be chair of the BMC. Uh, the Baltimore region is the only large transit agency in the country that is not governed by any board or commission. And even as we see the investment in things like the Purple Line, which is much more in the D.C. area, we need to ensure that we advocate for and we see progress in, transition, in, in transit and uh, transportation in the Baltimore region. So you and I have talked about this a few times. Um, when it comes to you know regional cooperation, when it comes to uh, the jurisdictions, uh, Baltimore City and the contiguous jurisdictions around the city, um, how would you assess the level of you know personal relationships and willingness to cooperate? And what issues, in addition to transportation, do you think lend themselves to, you know, a, a cross-county approach or a, an inter-county jurisdictional approach? We saw a, a great deal of challenge, of loss, of anxiety with the COVID pandemic. One of the things that we did get out of the COVID pandemic, however, was increased partnership, collaboration, and communication among the county executives in the Baltimore region and the mayor. 
Uh, we began talking to each other frequently in the very early days, two or three times a week. And so now we uh, have a fantastic relationship among each other. And we understand that transportation connects people, connects people to work, to uh, school, to uh, life. And so working together on the big and the hard things like improving the transportation system in the Baltimore region is something that is not only uh, a worthwhile endeavor, but it's much more doable because of our positive relationships. And folks can uh, you know go to the WIPR app or go to the Midday website and check out our conversation in depth about transportation. The uh, Baltimore Metropolitan Council suggesting a, a series of five recommendations uh, looking into how to better coordinate things. Um, do you hear, you, you, you just finished a series of listening sessions uh, with folks in Howard County that you held through the month of January. Do you hear from your constituents that, you know, they would like to have easier access in public transit to get from Columbia to Baltimore or to get from Howard County to Towson to go to work, et cetera? I mean, is, is this something that's top of mind to the folks that are talking to you? Yeah, we had a, a series of eight listening sessions here in Howard County. I had a series when I first became county executive uh, four years ago, and that helped us chart a course forward of you know record funding in schools and public safety, becoming environmental leaders, uh, major investments. And now for the next four years, I wanted people to have a say, and one of the things that they are talking about is transportation. They're also talking about affordable housing. They're talking about workforce, all the things that the BMC can do regionally. Is Howard County, are, are, are the folks in most of your county, do they still consider themselves in a D.C. burb or a Baltimore burb? I mean, <laughs> and, and is that part of the deal? Can we, can we get more folks in Howard County to think about Baltimore as being sort of the big city that is, uh, you, you know, the, the, the place they need to concentrate on? In a word, yes. We have uh, Commanders fans and Ravens fans, and so that's usually how I can tell the, the demarcation. Uh, we're, we're about half and half, so to speak. About half of uh, Howard County really sees themselves more akin to the Baltimore region, about half more to, to the Washington region. And what are the kinds of things that you think, in addition to transportation, we should be looking at in terms of how Baltimore City can relate to Howard County? Well, I think we all have seen shifts in the workforce, whether it's the great resignation or just how we're doing work. And so ensuring that uh, we have a, a better trained and empowered workforce who's ready and we help our employers when it comes to recruiting and retention. Uh, we're seeing, because we're such an enviable place to live, challenges in affordable and workforce housing. And we want people who work and serve here in the region to be able to also live in the region. And then I think when it comes to education, we want people to be able to have a world-class education to empower them and to be able to create their very best, uh, their very best selves. When it comes to uh, you know the the enviability of living in in Howard County, uh, there's no doubt that I mean it's a very popular place. The school system is well thought of. The uh, just the general quality of life is very well thought of here in Baltimore City. And again, I keep. Uh, bringing it back to Baltimore City because that's where the bulk of our listenership is. But um, it, it's important for folks all, all around the state to understand the relationship between Baltimore City and every place else. Uh, you know, Queen Anne's County, Charles County, St. Mary's County. Um, 
you do not have a, a, a situation where people are fleeing uh, Howard County by any means. That's happening here in Baltimore City. I mean, we're, our, our census numbers are, you know, continually going down uh, with each passing uh, year. Um, is that creating any problems for you? The fact that you've got people staying and entering Howard County. Uh, what are those numbers looking like? Uh, are they what you expected? And, uh, you know, are you able to provide services that keep up with the increased demand? Howard County cannot reach its fullest potential if Maryland is not doing well. And Maryland cannot reach its fullest potential if Baltimore City is not doing well. And so it behooves all of us to look and work with Baltimore City and all of our jurisdictions to ensure that uh, people can live their best quality of life. And, and while there are definitely challenges uh, that I think we see in our beloved Baltimore, I think we're seeing more investment. I think we're seeing uh, new and creative ways to address issues. And I think we're seeing uh, with more and different people who, who have different perspectives, ways that there's fresh legs and fresh energy in addressing these issues. When I talk to certain employers here in Baltimore City, because in particular uh, of the, the rates of violent crime, uh, they find it difficult to attract employees to come to the city. They, they've got to make a real concerted effort to assure them that this is, in fact, a good place to live. And as a person who's lived here for 40 years, I can attest to that. I wonder, do employers in Howard County um, get any of that same feedback from the people that they're trying to recruit, uh, given Howard County and Columbia's uh, you know, proximity to Baltimore. Does the do the problems that our city and many cities around the country face, you know, also pertain uh, to things like employment in Howard County? Well, the rise in violent crime is something that, unfortunately, we've seen nationwide and even in Howard County. However, Howard County has been named uh, has been named the home of the safest city in America, which is Columbia. Uh, every year, I've been county executive. Being the safest city in America doesn't mean zero crime. And so I think that there are lessons and partnerships that we have had and that we continue to have with Baltimore City. For example, addressing uh, gang violence. A lot of the gang violence that we see, these gangs permeate throughout the entire state region. And frankly, we have gang members who have connections to California. Uh, when it comes to carjacking, when it comes to ma many of these major theft rings, they don't know jurisdictional borders. And so we often work with our partners around the entire Baltimore region. When you uh, had these listening sessions, what else did you hear uh, about things in addition to transportation being top of mind? What other, uh, I would imagine crime, even in Howard County, is top of mind for most people? People definitely want to feel safe. They want us to make investments, uh, continued investments in education. They want us to be environmental leaders. Uh, they're concerned about inflation and being able to continue to afford to live uh, here in Howard County in Maryland. And I think they want us all to work together to move uh, things forward. Let's go to the phones. We have one of your constituents, Angie, on the line from Ellicott City. Angie, welcome to Midday with County Executive Calvin Ball. Thank you. Good afternoon, Calvin. How are you? Good afternoon. Doing great. Good. Hey, um, I sure you. I know you are very distressed to hear about the overrun in the cost of uh, correcting the storm problems in historic Ellicott City, uh, and uh, that's certainly going to have an impact. 
As you know, though, the rest of Ellicott City outside the historic district has some pretty serious stormwater management problems that have caused a lot, a lot of expense to homeowners, even though it doesn't make the news. I was wondering what you're planning to do to help that part of the county, and in particular, I'm hoping that the overrun to help historic area isn't going to impact on what you can do for the rest of us. All right, thanks for that call, Angie. And let's back up a little bit for folks who aren't aware of what's going on. But you have a flood prevention project in Ellicott City. Uh, explain what it is. It's a tunnel, right? Uh, and how is this tunnel going to help mitigate against flooding? So after we saw devastating floods in 2011, 2016, 2018, I wanted to come up with a comprehensive plan. And we have our safe and sound plan, which addresses uh, many of the flood mitigation in Ellicott City. It's a comprehensive plan. It prioritizes safety, supports business owners. And we actually were able to cut a ribbon on our H7 pond and we'll be cutting a river, uh, a ribbon on the Quaker Mill pond. And together they will actually hold a combined seven and a half million gallons of water. We're now moving forward with our extended North Tunnel, which is an exciting project. It'll be the most uh, comprehensive project that Howard County has ever seen. It is going to be uh, about 18 foot in diameter, 5,000 feet long, and it will convey water at a rate uh, unlike seen before. And I think one of the things that was so important in Angie's question is, is we are setting the example the work that we're doing on flood mitigation in historic Ellicott City is the work that will be the model of resiliency throughout not only the rest of Howard County, the state, uh, the nation, but frankly the world as we see increasing frequency and intensity of storms. Let me ask a dumb question because I don't know, understand anything about flood mitigation. Um, the water comes cruising through this tunnel. Does it end up in these ponds? I mean, does it, they're, they're connected. And then when it's in the ponds, uh, which are new, you're creating those, uh, you mentioned those too, uh, where does it go from there? I mean, does it just evaporate? Does it does it seep into the ground? What, what happens to it? So what we have is a combination of water retention and water conveyance projects. The ponds are the water retention. So when it rains a lot, we need some place to store heavy, fast rain and then release it slowly. And then there's the water conveyance, which is like the extended North Tunnel. When it rains a lot, how do we get some of this water out of historic Ellicott City very quickly? And so that's why we have this combination of projects. When you announced it uh, back in 2019, uh, you uh, had a price tag of about $82 million. Uh, it's now expected to cost $130 million, so $50 million bucks more than you anticipated. Why is that? Well, a few things. One, uh, we hadn't done the engineering. Two, we extended it from 1,600 feet uh, and 15-foot diameter to now 5,000 feet and 18-foot diameter. So it'll be much more effective. And we've seen inflation all around the nation and the world. And frankly, it hasn't, uh, Howard County hasn't been immune. So I think having a more effective uh, product having inflation, and being closer to going from dream to reality. 
And to Angie's point, our caller from Ellicott City, who's not in the flood area, uh, not in the historic district, um, she uh, alluded to the fact that homeowners outside of the historic district have had a lot of personal expense caused by flooding. Um, she's concerned that with a $50 million plus extra price tag for what's happening in the historic district, it's going to leave uh, little or nothing for the folks outside of the district. So how do you respond to Angie's concern? Flood mitigation is an issue uh, outside of historic Ellicott City, throughout Ellicott City, throughout Howard County, frankly, throughout the entire state. And what I'm so glad is that we have fantastic partners at the federal and the state level who have helped us do things like recently get a 75 access to a $75 million WIFIA uh, low-interest long-term loan. Uh, we have state partners such as uh, Senator Katie Fry Hester, Senator Guy Gazzoni, Delegate Courtney Watson, and many others in our delegation throughout who are helping to invest state money because we all recognize that addressing these flood mitigation problems in historic Ellicott City and beyond not only saves lives, it saves property, and it is going to save, frankly, the future. Last time I checked, and correct me if I'm uh, out of date on this, the uh, share of ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act funds, to Howard County is about $60 million. Has all of that been allocated? Has any of it been spent yet? And is some of that going to flood mitigation? A, a great deal of it has been allocated and spent. Uh, we put some toward flood mitigation. We actually had uh, one of the largest teacher bonuses uh, that went out. We got uh, the, the our school system got about 20 million, 40 grants totaling about $120 million. And so we invested uh, not only that money, but some of our money in helping our teachers and just making sure that we're addressing a lot of these issues for our educators, our students, and our community. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the school system. There's a budget that the uh, superintendent of schools has proposed that you said is, uh, been, uh, is a little bit too pricey for the county at this juncture. So we will take this quick break and we will have more with Howard County Executive Calvin Ball to join our conversation with County Executive Ball 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday wipr. You can tweet me at Tom Hall wipr. Stay with us. This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, my guest is Calvin Ball. He served on the Howard County Council for three terms before becoming the first African-American to be elected county executive in 2018. He was reelected to that position last November. Howard County is home to Maryland's second largest city, Columbia, 
a planned community that sprung from the imagination of the late developer James Rouse. The Columbia Association, the governing body of the city, has been embroiled in a controversy over the departure of Lakey Boyd, who asked the association board to be transitioned out of her role as president and CEO last month. If you have a question or a comment for County Executive Ball, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday wipr. Mr. County Executive, I do want to talk about education in the school system, but can you tell me what's going on with the Columbia Association? Um, there there seems to have been a, a, a great uh, difference of opinion about how that group should be run between the board and Miss Boyd, uh, who has been in that position for the last uh, couple of years, I guess, and has asked to be transitioned out. And I'm not quite sure what that means. That's not that's not a resignation. Uh, I, I don't even what that is. So I'm 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 baffled by the whole situation. Can you explain it for folks outside of Howard County who, <laughs> who don't know what's going on? Well, Columbia Association is governed by uh, ten board of directors who are each elected by uh, various villages. We have 10 villages in Columbia, and they hire a a CEO. And Lakey Boyd was hired by them. And then uh, there seemed to be a a great deal of uh, difficulty, and I think there was a a groundswell of community support uh, for Lakey Boyd as uh, many in the community saw that uh, there were some differences between board of directors uh, and uh, Ms. Boyd. We saw with her wanting to be uh, transitioned out from that position, uh, several resignations from various board members, and I think that there's a, a great deal of uh, confusion and disappointment in the community. And what's your take on, on the the genesis of the difference of opinion between at least some of the board members and Lakey Boyd? I think... Uh, Some board members just had different philosophies of governing and leadership. Um, I think that Lakey and my interaction with her uh, worked a great deal with uh, the various community stakeholders and uh, on different issues. And I think uh, the board of directors, um, from my understanding, just didn't, uh, they had a lot of concerns about how she was governing. And I think uh, a lot of the community members were very supportive and excited about her governments and government governance and leadership style. Let, let me be blunt. I mean, the, the media reports that I've read about, and I haven't investigated this myself, this is so I'm relying on my colleagues at the Baltimore Sun, the Baltimore Banner. Um, Lakey Boyd seemed to elevate uh, in importance diversity, equity, inclusion, and that these were some of the issues that some of the people uh, who I understand on the Columbia Association board uh, are largely, if not completely, uh, white men uh, took uh, took issue with. I mean, is that is that a fair characterization? Well, I definitely know in my interactions with Ms. Boyd, uh, she definitely was a champion of those issues of equity, of empowering people, of getting out into the community. And yes, uh, the vast majority of the Columbia Association board uh, are white men, um, many of them um, you know, over 40. And I think that there were definitely differences of opinions, of priorities, and of communication. So what's next? Is Lakey Boyd leaving? Are there, is the board going to allow her to so-called transition out, whatever that means? Well, I think they've accepted her resignation. And uh, I think 
we're going to have to see what what happens with with CA. CA is a a, a very large HOA, and you know I am curious. What's well, HOA? I know CA is the Columbia Association Homeowners Association. Okay, thank you. Right. Uh, and so, so it's I, not really equivalent to a city council. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, if it were to be incorporated, Columbia would be uh, the second largest city in Maryland, second only to Baltimore City. However, it's not incorporated. It's an HOA. And so you have board of director members who are usually elected with anywhere from 100 to two or 300 uh, residents each. And so I think a, a lot of the future and the trust and confidence in CA remains to be seen. So let's talk about the schools. Um, the uh, superintendent has proposed a $1.14 billion operating budget. That's about $112 million more than uh, last year. Uh, as they used to say in Congress, you know, a million here, a million here, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Um, th- that's a that's an enormous increase. Uh, and you have said that uh, the county can't afford it. Where do things stand? Well, look, I share the same goals of the superintendent. I think we all do. Robust salaries that reflect how much we value our educators, support for special education, commitment to reading and other core classes, safety, fulfilling the requirements of the blueprint. And that's one of the reasons why last year uh, we put more than 80 million new dollars in, the largest increase in a year uh, in, in over 20 years. And that was over $80 million to come here this year with a proposal of an increase of over $110 million is just not at all realistic. Um, during the first four years while I've been county executive, public education has increased by an average of 3.4%, which is 31% higher than the average of the 10 prior years. So coming to a request a budget of $111, you know, $112 million of new dollars is just uh, not at all realistic. What's but, your understanding of where that number comes from? I mean, you know, clearly everybody's aware of, uh, of the increases over the last few years. Why such a big increase again this year? I think it's an aspirational budget. It, it's when uh, when it's the county executive and the county council and the, our state friends who actually have to fund it, it is um, easier to have an aspirational wish list. And I think it's important to have a, a real community conversation about the needs, the goals, the priorities. However, at the end of the day, somebody's got to fund it. And I think we need to have more realistic conversations about uh, past funding and what can actually be funded. If you're that far apart, what's the next step? Well, the Board of Education now will evaluate the superintendent's uh, request, and hopefully they'll send something that's a little bit more realistic to me and the county council. And the county council has the last word on school funding in Howard County. Correct. Uh, We have a question from John who says, can you give us an update on the Long Reach Village Center redevelopment project. So when I uh, took over as county executive, our Long Reach Village Center, which is one of the largest in uh, the county, um, actually was nearly vacant. <coughs> Excuse me, it had about a 90% vacancy rate. And it was really uh, not uh, cared for. There was a plan for it to be sold into private hands, and then they would redevelop it. That plan actually subsequently fell through. And then I wanted us to move forward with sustaining the village, uh, making some investments. And then, of course, we had COVID. And a lot of the big money uh, got a little scared around the nation. Uh, 
And so I'm very hopeful that moving forward, we will have uh, much more redevelopment and that Longreach's uh, future will be the brightest and much brighter than its past. Our director and engineer, Shania Mapson, a proud graduate of Longreach High School. Uh, talking about schools again, uh, a couple of years ago in 2019, a uh, big controversy about redistricting for the schools. Uh, and again, that uh, seemed to, to fall along racial and ethnic lines. There was a complaints from the black community, the white community, the Asian community, that redistricting will happen again, as I understand it, uh, now because there's an addition of you're building a new high school, right? Um, so everybody's going to get uh, shuffled around again. Um, do you expect the same kind of resistance, the same kind of controversy this time as you had the last time? Because it was pretty significant the last time. Well, change is always hard, and uh, school redistricting is very challenging, and it's, it's so difficult for a community. And the Board of Education has uh, the purview over school redistricting. And I think you're right. There were a lot of people who were very concerned about both the product and the process. And I think, and I'm very hopeful that the Board of Education, the school system, actually you know, learned from that process and that product. And as they're opening our new high school 13, uh, they are having, I think, uh, communication with the community. But unfortunately, there are going to be a lot of people who are unhappy for a number of reasons. And the thing that I think as county executive, I can most help is ensuring that there are excellent teaching and learning environments in our school system. And while uh, redistricting is, is tough, being able to open a brand new, exciting uh, school is something that's important. And so my hope is that we will continue to build new schools to alleviate school overcrowding and do an even better job building the schools where the students are. Um, let's talk a little bit about the police. Uh, yesterday, this just incredibly poignant and sad funeral funeral for Tyree Nichols in Memphis. You issued a statement when he was murdered by those five police officers in Memphis. Um, the fact that they were wearing cameras, body-worn cameras, uh, is one of the reasons we are aware uh, of the, the, the heinous acts that they uh, perpetrated on this young man. Um, you signed uh, a an order for body-worn cameras in Howard County a year ago, October. Where do things stand with that? Uh, you, you mentioned there has been a, an uptick uh, in crime in Howard County the way there has been in every jurisdiction uh, in the country virtually. Um, where, where do things stand uh, in terms of policing, the strength of your uh, you know, community policing initiatives, et cetera? Before I even became county executive, as a county council member, I wanted us to explore technology and body-worn cameras. I saw that <coughs> transparency and accountability was something that was good for the community and something that was good for our public safety uh, and law enforcement officers who were putting their lives on the line. And I think we're seeing an example, uh, a very sad and unfortunate example, of being able to have those cameras work. And it was unfortunate to see the juxtaposition of uh, celebrating someone like Wes Moore as our first black governor while mourning uh, Tyree Nichols and his family and seeing those officers who had committed that heinous act. And it just reminds us that we still have so much more work to do. But in Howard County, we have uh, fully implemented and funded our body-worn camera program, and we're going to continue to move forward to be more transparent and hold everyone accountable. It seems that, that so-called community policing, 
uh, is working in Howard County in a way that it's not working in other jurisdictions. What's what's the secret sauce there? Why do you think it's it's uh, generally speaking more successful in Howard County than it is in other places? Well, I, I've made record inf- investment in public safety. Uh, not only ensuring that we have uh, officers, but in their compensation. And I've tried to help our officers recognize that their physical and mental health are a priority, that uh, they should be able to call out if they need to. And I think that that is one issue. We also are effectively using technology, and we have fantastic leadership. Uh, my chief of police and uh, you know I've, I've appointed two chiefs of police fantastic leaders, uh, both groundbreaking trailblazers who not only love public safety, but love the people. And I think when our law enforcement officers know that they are going to be supported and that we're going to work with the community to have open and transparent conversations, the community not only is safe, but feels safe and our law enforcement officers feel supported. Just have a minute left here. Um, a couple of days ago, you signed an executive order to create something called the Opioid Collaborative Community Council. Opioid addiction, opioid uh, epidemic is uh, you know raging across the country. Uh, Howard County, one of the jurisdictions involved in a lawsuit against some of the companies that make these drugs. Um, wh- what is your, your plan for addressing the opioid crisis in your jurisdiction? We're going to be getting uh, monies via settlement. I want to thank our our law team and so many others who helped make that a reality. And I wanted the people who recognize the impacts of uh, substance misuse disorder, of of all of the challenges that go around, to have a say-so on how this money is spent to save lives. While we have seen a decrease in non-fatal and fatal overdoses over the last few years in Howard County, one is one too many. And we want to make sure that we save more lives and we help all those lives have a better trajectory. And with this council, we'll be able to do that. Calvin Ball is the Howard County Executive. Dr. Ball, it's always a pleasure, sir, and uh, come back sooner than the last time. The the interregnum between your visits has been too long, so we'll make sure it's shorter the next time. Great to be with you, and thanks again. That's it for us today. Coming up tomorrow, it's midday at the movies with Jed Dietz. He's the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival, and Ann Hornaday, she's the film critic for the Washington Post. Plus, we will have a review of Jump, the latest offering at the Baltimore Everyman Theater. Here and Now is up next after news at the top of the hour, so stick around for that. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for subscribing to our podcast. Thanks for checking out our website. Thanks for being part of our program today and every day. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You're listening to Your Public Radio, 88.1 WYPR.